we're going to talk today about the seventh of Pesach because this Shabbat is actually a holiday and we're not reading the portion until next Shabbat. So we're going to go into a little bit of the splitting of the Red Sea. And basically the seventh day of Pesach is about the splitting of the Red Sea. And it's the sort of like the climax of the exodus from Egypt. And Basically, till the Israelites didn't see the splitting of the Red Sea, they were scared. They had no certainty. They, you know, they thought that they were going to be annihilated by the Egyptian military. And they were even prepared to go back into slavery and risk dying. And only after the splitting of the sea were they able to experience true freedom. That's, we're talking about the story now before we go into more of it. And according to the sages, these are two events, the exodus from Egypt and the splitting of the Red Sea, which are really the most important events that we talk about today. And the obligation is to talk about both of those things, the exodus from Egypt and the splitting of the Red Sea. And it's two things that are relevant for us all the time in our lives today. Leaving Egypt, we talked about it on Passover, means going out of our limitations. It means stopping to be slaves. It means identifying ourselves as, you know, everybody's a slave to something. So the question is, would you rather be a slave to the creator or would you rather be a slave to your addictions? And obviously the answer is we want to be slaves to the creator. Everyone is a slave to something. We're not completely free as we talked about. So. Leaving Egypt means understanding that we have a slavery, and I know it's, it's, it doesn't sound, it's not a good word maybe, it's not a good choice of words, but it's slavery to the creator. And the, even though the exodus from Egypt was breaking out of our limitations, it still isn't complete until we split the Red Sea. The splitting of the Red Sea is really what made it complete. And in the same way, on a personal level, each and every one of us, experiences leaving Egypt and then the splitting of the Red Sea. Leaving Egypt for us is getting out of our addictions, leaving out of our slavery, leaving out of our mindset. The commitment to leave Egypt, the commitment to break out of that, is what, what helps us go out of our limitations, right? But a lot of times there's a problem because even if we believe in the Torah, we believe in practicing spirituality, we believe in those things, a lot of people get stuck in the material world of today, of even if we believe in it, we have mitzrayim, which means limitations of our existence in this world. Mitzrayim, which is narrow, is the limitations that we put on ourselves or that we think that exist in our world. And so a lot of times we find ourselves in a sort of a challenge because on one hand we're committed to spirituality and Torah and at the same time there are people that say okay I can do this part of it but I can't do this part of it it's too it's too much for me right so it's kind of like we are we want to take the obligation but we don't want to take it all the way right everybody has that all the time so this conflict between what we know we need to practice and what seems hard for us is really the balance between the spiritual and the material worlds. And that's the leaving of Egypt and the splitting of the Red Sea. So
So the difficulty of rejecting the material world, and it doesn't mean to reject it that you shouldn't enjoy materialism and you shouldn't enjoy this world, but it's not to become enslaved to this world. And so the, diffi the difficulty of not becoming enslaved and of actually splitting the Red Sea is what we deal with all the time. And even though they had physically departed from Egypt, Egypt was still a part of them, right? They, they wanted to go back. Everything was great there. Everything is great in our addictions. Everything is great in our slavery. We'd rather, you know, you know, you have your own garbage that you go to bed with and you'd rather have your garbage than somebody else's garbage. So it's the same thing. It's they were happy in Egypt. And going out of Egypt, I was having a conversation with someone, going out of Egypt is hard. I, I think it was my daughter. I was having a conversation with my daughter yesterday and she's like, well, how is it that people don't want to change? Like, how is it that they don't want to make their lives better? How come there are people like that? I said, you know what, there are people who are just complacent and they, it's not easy to deal with your garbage. Who wants, to, who wants to confront all of their stuff? And that's the going out of Egypt. So the difficulty of the going out of Egypt, even though they physically left, they still had it as part of them. And that was the challenge. And a lot of times the environment that we're in and the way that we see our reality is what presents the challenges for us. So it wasn't only until after the splitting of the Red Sea that they were actually able to break free from the invisible shackles of slavery that they had on them because they saw, they saw the miracle. So understanding that the spiritual parallel between the miracles that help us to resolve the material and spiritual world between us and our environment and where we live and our spiritual goals and helping us to see that really there are miracles every day happening in our lives if we're willing to go out of that slavery. And it can be obviously to anything. So we find that the miracle of the splitting of the sea is described as he turned the sea into dry land. And what does that mean? There's a, a thought that says that the sea is a metaphor for the material world which hides the creator within it. Because the in everything in the material world, obviously there's the creator, but it's hard for us to see it. You know, we think we work hard, so we make the money. You know, but everything is about us. We don't stop to say, okay, and for those of us who have kids, we want to control everything. Even if they're in a situation that we need to help them, we want to help them. We want to be the ones to solve their problems. Well, hello, there's a creator too. You know, obviously you don't leave them not to do anything, but you can only help so far and then the creator is in the picture and we forget that, especially as parents, we forget it. We want to be in control. So the, the waters of the sea are basically our material existence that covers the creator, that covers the spirituality, that covers the life force that exists on this plane. And the transformation of the sea into dry land is being able to see the truth. Being able to take away all of that water and see the land and that the world is not separated from the creator but that it's one and it's there. It's being able to see it. So understanding and remembering that the creator is involved in our physical world can help us to overcome the challenges. But we forget it. We think that we have to overcome the challenges by ourselves. We think that we have to come overcome our addictions by ourselves. We think, and by the way, 
I was talking to Eliyahu and he said, you know, he, he worked in rehabs for many years and he said, you know, addicts, you have to replace the addiction with another addiction. There's no such thing. You can't get rid of addiction. But if you have an addiction, replace it with another addiction. Replace it with a positive addiction. And that's the only way because an addict is an addict is an addict. You can't get rid of it. You can get rid of the negative addiction. You can get rid of the alcohol and the sex. And the, but if you don't have something to replace it, it's not going to work. So what's the replacement? Spirituality. It's the balance between the spirituality and the physical. But there has to be something. And it's the same thing with us. We can't all of a sudden wake up one day and say, okay, we can see God in everything. We don't. We don't. We don't see God in everything. But we can ask the Creator for help to be able to get rid of those addictions, get rid of those slaveries. And so in the same way, our spiritual life reflects the history, meaning the miracle at the Red Sea completed the process of going out of Egypt and prepare the Israelites for the Torah. That's what we're getting in seven weeks, Shavuot, is the Torah. The same thing in our lives, our exodus from Egypt, our going out of Egypt, is reinforced by seeing the Creator. Constantly, bless you, constantly understanding that the presence of the Creator is there. Constantly. And so the whole story of the splitting of the Red Sea teaches us that our commitment to spirituality, our commitment to the Creator is what's going to create miracles. And I was reading, I'm, I'll go back to this in a minute, but I was reading in the portion of, because if you think about where the story of, of Exodus happened, it's in the portion of Bishalach. And I was reading the Ari, it's in English, it's called Apples from the Orchard. And I'm going to go sentence by sentence, and it's pretty shocking, because it's all about reincarnation. It has nothing to do with the splitting of the Red Sea. So I'm going to share it with you as much as I can. So it starts with verse 17, where it says, when Pharaoh let the people leave, right? He let them leave, he was stubborn, and he let them leave. What does it mean? It's really talking about when the soul leaves the body. And Pharaoh, you know, we know Pharaoh in Hebrew is the same letters as Olaf, which is neck. And we've talked about the stubborn people. But what does it really mean? The body is stubborn. The body is stubborn because it insists on focusing on the material and the physical parts of the world. So we're going to go step by step, and you'll see it has nothing to do with going out of Egypt and the splitting of the Red Sea. It's nothing to do with it. Egypt, like we said before, is Mitzrayim, which means narrow. Tzal is narrow. The body limits the power of the soul to this world, forcing it to be enslaved to time and space. That's what it means when Pharaoh let the people leave. It's being able to let the soul leave, being able to disconnect the body and the soul. Then it says in verse 8, chapter 14, verse 8, it says, let me just find it. God hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he went after the Israelites. Meanwhile, the Israelites were leaving in triumph. When the soul leaves the body, what happens? The powers of negativity, the powers of in evil inclination, are out to set to chase the soul. They want it wants to harm the soul. 
And this is because the evil inclination is also basically what happens after the soul leaves the body is that there are accusing angels. There are negative angels that are running after the soul. And after taking the soul from the body, it actually is pursuing it to harm it and to have vengeance on it. So God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. It's not about hardening the heart of Pharaoh. It's that when the soul leaves the body, it's running away from the evil inclination. Then it says, um, setting out after the Israelites, the Egyptians overtook them while they were camping by the sea. When the soul leaves the body, it has to first go through a cleansing of all of the negativity that it's done in this world. So it's kind of like a purging of all of the materialism and the negativity and everything that it, ha that it acquired in its stay in the physical world has to be cleansed. And only then can it experience paradise. Only then it goes up to heaven. Then it says, as Pharaoh drew near, as Pharaoh came close, the Israelites looked up. In order for the soul to be purified, it has to go through the experience of truth and spirituality. And this is, it's a very hard awakening because what happens? The soul realizes that after all of this time, the truth is the spiritual, not the physical. That this world was just a game. It wasn't real. And that illusion is hard for the soul. Then it goes on to say, they said to Moses, weren't there enough graves in Egypt? Doesn't that sound weird? Like, what are they complaining now that they're going to die in the desert? Like, it's weird. So the Ari says that the soul is saying now that it's seen all this pain and suffering from the powers of evil that were inflicted on it in this world. Now it also has to go through suffering in the grave because there's something called chibuta kevel, which is battering in the grave. Basically, I know this is hard, and if it's too hard for anybody, tell me. But basically, the soul goes through suffering. The soul itself, it kind of is resurrected and brought back to death, resurrected and brought back to death. And, and the soul is saying, wasn't it enough pain that I had to be buried and suffered inside this body, and now I have to go through this again? So it's not a physical people complaining about Egypt and being in the desert. It's the soul crying out saying, enough. You know, I, I suffered enough in this physical world to understand that I was constricted to this body. Now I have to go through this again? And the soul, it's, it's really about the birth into a physical body. And being buried inside a grave, meaning being buried inside this body and, and not being able to disconnect from the material world. Because death is really not seen as the end of an existence. Death is the beginning of a true existence. And so the soul is saying, you know, I had to live a life full of this pain in this body. Why do I have to suffer anymore? That's really what it is. And then it goes on to say, and this is all in chapter 14, Bishalach, from like the beginning to almost the end of the chapter. Um, then it goes on to say, didn't we tell you in Egypt to leave us alone and let us work for the Egyptians? It would have been better to be slaves in Egypt than to die here in the desert. What does that mean? It was better for me in the body. This is what the soul is saying. It was better for me in the body. I may as well have submitted to the evil inclination there in the physical world, suffered there. At least I would be suffering there and I didn't have to suffer now. But now I have to suffer there and now I have to suffer again. 
Because what happens is by the soul being shown the truth of spirituality, it's an awakening. It's an awakening to understand that everything that we go through here is not important. Everything that we go through here is really practice for the next world. How we treat each other, how we treat ourselves, how we believe in other people, how we believe in ourselves, how we treat the person down the street. That is all practice. It's all practice for the soul in the world to come. And it's the opposite for the righteous people, by the way, because they wait for death. They wait for death because they know that the true world is in the world to come, not here. The next sentence goes into Moses saying, um, don't be afraid, replied Moses to the people. Stand firm and you will see what God will do to rescue you today. You might be, see you might be seeing the Egyptians today, but you will never see them again. What does that mean? The good inclination is now telling the soul, don't be afraid of the punishment because it's good for you. Because you have to go through the purification. The soul has to go through the purification to go up to heaven. And through it, you'll be able to get rid of all of the pain and all of the negativity. And then you'll be able to go up to heaven. So it's like the good inclination is giving hope to the soul to understand what's coming next. Then it goes on. Chapter 15, I'm skipping a little bit. Chapter 15, verses 22 and 23. Moses led the Israelites away from the Red Sea, and they went out into the shore desert. They traveled for three days in the desert without finding any water. Finally, they came to Marah, but they could not drink any water there. There was bitter. The water was bitter, and that was why the place was called Marah. What does it mean? After the soul departs from, it's called purgatory, it's gone through this cleansing, it starves for three days because it's now spent three days without learning Torah, without learning spirituality. And you know, it says that Torah is the nourishment of the soul. And really, it's not for here, it's for the world to come. As much as we study here, like I know that when we study Ten Luminous Emanations, it's like 40, 40 years, I think, of studying. The amount of studying that you do here is not for here. It's for the world to come. It's food in the world to come. So the three days is the three days that the soul is without learning Torah. It's starving. It needs the food. It needs the nourishment. And then it goes on and it says, um, the people complained to Moses, what shall we drink? They demanded. So the good inclination, again, is showing the soul the rewards of the things that are waiting for us in the world to come. Because as it's about to go into paradise, God prepares the soul by telling it about every experience and the true value of the study and of the mitzvot and of the positivity that we do while, we, while the soul was in the body is now the water for the soul, is now the nourishment for the soul. So everything that we do here, all the studies that we do here, all the mitzvot that we do here, the, the connections to Passover, the splitting of the Red Sea, all of that is for the world to come. All of that is feeding our soul. All of that are gifts that we're going to get in the world to come. So it's not even about here. It's, it's a crazy concept. It's not about what you do here. Because what we do here is on such, it's on such a physical level if we don't understand why we're doing it. And the why is for our soul not for our body. 
Our body is, is nothing. It's for our soul. Then it says, um, the Creator is saying, if you obey God your Lord and do what is upright in his eyes, carefully heeding all his commandments and keeping all his decrees, then I will not strike you with any of the sicknesses that I brought on Egypt. I am God who heals you. So God is promising the soul that since it, it went into spirituality, it went into uh, during its life in the physical world, and then it also went through the purification of purgatory, which everyone has to go to, it's not going to experience any negativity anymore. It's cured from all the evil, from all the depression. Everything is cured, and then it goes up to heaven. Then I'm going to skip a little bit because there's so much here, and I can go into a whole course. Yes? Okay. So we know the soul gets reincarnated. Mm -hmm. So every time the soul has been reincarnated into this world and the physical body dies, the, the soul has to go through that process? Every time. I gave a whole course on it, and I can do it here. It just freaked a lot of people out. It's called Life After Life, and it basically talks about there are seven levels of hell. Seven levels of hell? Of hell. And what each soul has to go through according to what negativity they did in this world. And there's different kinds of, of uh, so cleansing. <laughs> Believe me, it's also, you know, Speaking evil speech and insulting somebody in public. And I mean, it's not just the criminals who are. Yeah. Yeah. But so, and you know, and of course, women don't have to come back. We choose to come back to help all of the men in our lives. If it's our husbands, our brothers, our sons, every single man in our life, we come back to help them. <laughs> but yeah, every time, every time a person passes away, and if a person passes away on Shabbat or on a holiday, it doesn't go through purgatory. It doesn't go through chiput kevel, the the batting of the grave. It doesn't go through that. Wow. It has to be on the holiday. Or if it, if yeah, on Shabbat, and they have to be buried before Shabbat. So if if a soul, that's why in Israel, it's in Jerusalem, you can't wait. So if a person dies Friday morning, Sadiq. Oh, wow. But they have to be buried before Shabbat. They have to be buried, though, because the body has to... The, the reason why we bury bodies in the ground is because the soul has to separate from the body. And the only way that the soul can separate from the body is if the body goes back to the earth. That's why no cremation and... Not good. Not good. Okay, so then it says, God said to Moses, I will make bread rain down to you from the sky. The people will go out and gather enough for each day. I will test them to see whether or not they will keep my law. So it says, according to the Ali, that in paradise you will eat the bread of the Torah that you studied while you were in that world. Because the Torah is the nourishment of the soul. And it is the 248 limbs and the 365 sinews of the soul, which are the 613 precepts that form the soul's garment. So it's the clothing and it's the food. And the Torah itself is the soul, is the nourishment. And if someone didn't occupy himself with spirituality and Torah, he has nothing to eat in the world to come. Mm -hmm. Scary. It's scary. Um, 
First of all, we don't know who the soul was. With everything that's happened over the generations of the pogroms and the, who knows? So even non-Jewish people are supposed to study Torah? Yeah, they have the seven laws of, of Noach. That need to be, I mean, they're stupid laws. I mean, they're not stupid, but I don't think anybody eats an animal that's alive. That's one of them. It's the easy ones, exactly. <laughs> it's the easy ones. But it's about spirituality. It's about mitzvot. I mean, it's even the basic of, of not embarrassing somebody in public, of anger, of jealousy, uh, all the simple things. That's like the simplest, simplest, simplest level. Everybody needs to do that. But on all the levels of the mitzvot, if we don't, and it doesn't mean that we have to become religious, but if you have in your mind what you're doing and you know what you're doing, then every single action that you do forms food for your soul and the world to come. So the soul might have clothing, but if it doesn't perform the mitzvot, it won't have nourishment. That's, and that's, for me, it was very scary. Because in paradise, the soul collects all the rewards daily of the nourishment. The soul gets the rewards daily of everything that it did here. That's why some people believe that they'd rather not get anything back for what they do here because it takes away from the world to come. They would rather give, why do people want to give anonymously? Because they don't want the recognition here. They want the recognition in the world to come. And actually, I was reading a story. You know, I have this book probably 20 years. And I, I thought I read all the stories. And I was reading one story that I never read before, which is very weird, um, about the Baal Shem Tov and Shabbat. And the story goes that um, the Baal Shem Tov was in a Shabbat, and you know he was a great sage, great tzaddik, and he was doing Shabbat. And at the end of Shabbat, the angels came to him and said, you know, there's someone that you need to learn from that does Shabbat better than you. And this is the town that you need to go to. And you'll see. And this town, it, there was like no Jews in the town. Nobody keeps Shabbat in the town. He gets there. He knocks on the door. This guy who he doesn't think knows anything about anything answers the door. And the Baal Shem Tov says, you know, listen, it's getting late. And it's my Sabbath. And I, I need a place to stay. And the guy invites him in. And he lets him stay there. And it's Friday night. And all of a sudden, all of these persons friends are coming and they're having this big party and they're smoking and they're drinking and the Baal Shem Tov has no food like he's just eating from what he had in his carriage for Shabbat and he doesn't understand what's going on and the whole Shabbat goes by and, and the man is just having like parties upon parties and people are coming and at the end of Shabbat you know he goes to the man and he says listen I don't understand you know I got a message to come to your house but I, I don't understand and the man says to him a long time ago when I was little I was kidnapped and brought into this town and I was told that if I ever practiced Judaism or Shabbat again, they would kill me. And so the only thing I remember from my father is that you're supposed to be happy on Shabbat. And that's why I do parties. And the Baal Shem Tov was like shocked and understood that the most important thing of happiness was what he was missing. Because you never know. You never know. I thought it was an amazing story, and it's the first time I found it. It's so weird. I've had this book for 25 years. 
Anyway, let's keep on going. So chapter 17, verse 1. The entire Israelite community moved on from the Sin Desert, traveling according to God's instructions, until they camped in Rephidim. So after receiving its reward on a lower level of paradise, the soul goes on to an upper level of paradise, which is referred to as Sinai, in order to receive new levels of Torah from the mouth of God. Can you imagine? You're now going from a lower level to an upper level and, and receiving more and more secrets. So that's just a little bit of what the Ari wrote, and you can all get the book if you want in English. It's one of the maybe two or three books that are in English of the Ari, and it's amazing. And that part is actually easy to read. So the, the story of the splitting of the sea teaches us basically that as much as we're frightened, as much as we don't have certainty, as much as we think that we don't know, you know, the famous sentence of why do you cry out to me, right? You have the, the sea in front of them, the Egyptians behind them, they're looking at Moses and Moses is saying, why are you crying out to me? You know, just go forward, go. And the explanation that, in, that says that after Moshe gave this message, the, the leader of the tribe of Yehuda, Nachshon ben Aminadav, went into the sea. He just plunged into the water and followed you know, his tribe and everybody went in. And they pressed through the water and it reached up to here and then the sea split. And basically, what is Nachshon showing? It's called Mesirut Nefesh, self-sacrifice. He knew that the goal of Exodus was, what was the reason why they were leaving Egypt? Was to receive the Torah. That was the goal, right? So Moses promised, right? He said, when you bring, the creator said to him, when you bring the people out of Egypt, you're going to get to this mountain and you're going to get to the Torah. And that's what Nachshon had in front of him. And his only desire was to reach Mount Sinai. That's what he wanted. So no matter what the obstacles were, his goal was not shaken. And not even the sea would stand between him and receiving the Torah. How many of us have goals in front of us that no matter what, we're going to achieve them? Very few. Very few. Because we get wrapped up in the challenges. We forget that the challenges are there to make us stronger. The challenges aren't there to stop us. You know, like, what, the Creator can't give us a million dollars or seven million dollars or five houses or right now? But what's our true goal? Why do we want them? And even start on a, a little level of physical goals. Because if you can't keep a little physical goal, you can't keep a big spiritual goal. If you can keep one goal every 40 days and actually get there, you're, you're working on yourself spiritually. That's why I always tell people, start with the easy things. What are the easy things? Yeah. Diet, gym, those are the easy things. The harder things are how we treat each other, how we confront relationships, how we make commitments spiritually, and do we keep them, even the little commitments. Those are the harder goals. But if we remember, what's the, what's the goal? The splitting of the Red Sea to get to the other side. That's the goal. The goal is not the splitting of the Red Sea. The goal was to get to the other side so that we could get the Torah. So the splitting of the Red Sea was nothing. That's why he could jump in, because he knew the Creator made it very clear. The goal is the Torah. So if the goal is the Torah, then it's an illusion. Then the splitting of the Red Sea is an illusion. 
That's why Friday morning, what do we do at a quarter to five in the morning? We do our own splitting of the Red Sea. And for every one of us, it's different. Whatever that splitting of the Red Sea is for us, we need to, what's our goal? What's our goal in life? What's our true goal in life? You know, I, I always, people come to me with questions of what, what do I need to do? What should I be when I grow up? Write down for yourself, what's your goal? What is your goal? What do you want? What are, the, what are the true things that you want? What really matters? What's your priorities? And then work to them, but remember them in front of you. Even if you have to write them down in front of you, on your mirror, on your dashboard, on your phone, wherever, on your screensaver, the goal. Two words, what's your goal? And remember, everything, whatever takes you away from that goal is not important. Whatever takes you away from that goal is not important. Don't get stuck in it, because we get stuck. We get stuck in things that are not important, and we make them gigantic. But what's our goal? So the quality of Nachshon, being able to just go forward, is compared to Rabbi Akiva and to Avram, because both lived lives of self-sacrifice. Both of them served the Creator. Both of them were teaching his Torah with complete self-sacrifice. They were different, though, in a couple of things. And the difference is that Rabbi Akiva continued to teach his students even when the Romans captured him. Even when the Romans captured him and they tortured him to death. With, you all know how he died, right? With combs of iron. They, they peeled his skin off. And during the whole thing, Rabbi Akiva was saying the words of Shema. And his students couldn't understand what was going on. And he said, all my life, I've been troubled by the commandment to love the Creator with all your soul. Which I understood to mean that even if He takes your soul, you still need to love the Creator. And that's what He told His students while, that, while this was happening. So how could I do it? Rabbi Akiva said, how, is that, how could I possibly fulfill this without this happening? That's how high He was. So Rabbi Akiva then had all of that misirut nefesh, that self-sacrifice, on the ultimate level, none of us could even, you know, we can ask Rabbi Akiva for help. That's what we can do, is we can ask Rabbi Akiva for help. And until Rabbi Akiva, Abraham didn't regard self-sacrifice as an end. His life was about dedication to the mission of spreading the word of the Creator. Because what did, what, what did Avon, what was his main thing? He was spreading that there's one God. So the self-sacrifice for him wasn't the end goal. The end goal for him was to spread that there is one God. So sometimes we get stuck in the tools and forget what the end game is. Shabbat is not the end game. Keeping kosher is not the end game. Being spiritual is not the end game. The end game is to be able to have more and more spiritual sustenance in our spiritual bank so that our soul can achieve things in the world to come. So Shabbat is important and kosher is important. All those things are important not because that's the end game. That's not the goal. And people get wrapped up in that. They think that's the goal, but that's not the goal. The goal is to reach something for our souls. So there is a system that we can go by that we can reach that, but it's not the goal. And so Avam understood that the self-sacrifice was part of being able to explain to people that there's one God.
but he didn't strive to attain self-sacrifice. His efforts were only to make sure that people knew that there was one God. So why is there a difference between these two approaches? Because Rabbi Akiva, his goal was self-sacrifice. Because he saw that that was the greatest possible form of his fulfillment, of his self-fulfillment. In his, in his life, the greatest thing that he could do was the self-sacrifice. Because instead of seeking fulfillment in the material things, or even in, in a spiritual life of, of limitations, he wanted to be in complete unity with the Creator. So for him, self-sacrifice was the goal. For him, self-sacrifice was the end game. And the only way that a human being on our level could experience that was through self-sacrifice. But Avam wasn't concerned with fulfilling himself. He didn't want to reach his potential. He didn't care about self-sacrifice. He had only one goal, spreading the word that, the creator, that there's one creator. Because up till then, there, were, there was idol worshiping. They believed in many gods. And so that was his goal. And he never, he didn't think about it as self-sacrifice is my endgame. Nachshon had the similar quality. When he went into the sea, he didn't think of himself. He didn't think of his self-fulfillment. He didn't think of his self-sacrifice. What was his goal? He wanted to receive the Torah. He wanted to get to the other side to get to Mount Sinai. That's what he wanted. So each and every one of us in our lives, when we think about the splitting of the Red Sea, we have to strive for what our determination is. What's our self-determination? What do we want? What do we truly want out of life? Because the exile in Egypt is a preparation for us to be able to receive the Torah. But exile is also a preparation for revealing the true light of the Creator. So for us, we need to think, okay, what's my exile? What's my goal? And what are my means? Because those are the things that we get mixed up between. And maybe take a couple of minutes and either talk to each other or write it down. What's your exile? What's your splitting of the Red Sea? And what's your goal? Because everybody is different. Everybody has a different goal. And nobody is right and nobody's wrong. It's not a test. It's what's your goal? Take a minute or two and, and write down what your goal is. What's your goal? What's your exile? What's your splitting of your Red Sea? Okay, who wants to share? <laughs> okay, one of you start. I'm going to share yours because that's splitting your Oh, the fear. That's getting it right. So, is there a certain order? Okay. So, the end game, the goal is just introducing and bringing more people introducing people to spirituality and the exile is the fear of doing it right, looking stupid, being embarrassed um, and the, what's the strength? Oh, the splitting of the Red Sea is just not even hearing that when it comes up. Just, you know, blocking out that noise and just keeping your eye on the goal. Very good. It's very good. Like the horse with the side. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Anyone else? No one else? No, she said the bar really high in our table. Ah, but everybody has their own. Come on. Everybody has their own goals. Okay, let's hear what are the challenges. 
What are the challenges sometimes? What, what takes us off of the path of splitting the Red Sea, of jumping in? We don't have time. Yeah. Anger we're, for me. Oh, anger. Anger. Not doing it right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Pain, body pain, physical. Kind of let life's to-dos keep you busy all day. Right. So, oh, I'll do that tomorrow, because today I've got all these things I need to get done. Right. And we forget what the priority is. We have to keep our priorities straight. And everybody has different priorities, but really the priority should be people. Our priorities shouldn't be all the things that we need to get done, which will never, they never get done. There's always something else, right? But our priority should be people. Our priority should be relationships. Our priority should be confrontation, confronting ourselves. You know, a lot of people are afraid of criticism. I can't stand criticism. But if I confront my own problems, then nobody needs to criticize me because I know what my problems are and I'm confronting them. But if we get wrapped up in, oh, I'm busy, I have to do this, I have to take care of this, I have to do this, I have to and we all do it, then it's just robotic mode. And we forget. We forget that people exist in our life. And that's really the most important thing because the only way that we can get close to the Creator is by practicing relationships with people. That's why we're here. Otherwise, you know, I always say, otherwise we'd each have our own island with our own cars and our own boats and our own whatever, and we wouldn't live next to each other. But we're all here because we need to learn how to be with each other. And that's, that, the for, that form of priority can be in any different form in anybody's life. It could be, you know, your children, it could be your parents, it could be your friends, it could be whatever it is. But the priority is people. So wherever in your life... It's terrible. It's terrible. I mean, today, the new generation doesn't talk to each other. Like, I don't even know how they meet people. No, we are, for sure. But... I mean, I was just going to say that it's like the whole social media and everything is really taking... It's terrible. It's such a big illusion of how many likes and how many friends. and None of them are real. Right, but it's just taking everyone further and further and further away, away from, from each other. used to be a lot more natural. Of course. Yeah. So it's scary. We're walking, we're going the other direction. That's why I always tell people, if you want to start trying to keep Shabbat, turn the phone off for 24 hours. Turn the phone off for 24 hours. That's the first thing. It's true. I, I started doing that a few weeks ago. And it's just Nothing is going to happen. It's so nice. It's actually the opposite. You know, and, and there are forms of reaching people today. If your phone is off, that you know, there are forms of reaching people. Nothing is going to, God forbid, happen that you can't, nobody can get a hold of you. But it's amazing because I don't think anybody does it. And, you know, I said it before. In Israel, they have rehab for iPhone. No, they do. They have rehab for children for iPhones because it's not normal. Yeah, they say it's one of the biggest redeeming things about Jewish summer camps or summer camps in general because phones aren't allowed. Exactly. And you're in a completely no cell area and it's like... It's the best. You have to actually interact. Like my, my boys, when they were little, they would watch like little Einstein and things like that. My daughter would not watch TV. She wanted interaction. For almost three years, she would not... She, you couldn't put her in front of anything. She wanted you. Yeah, no, it was very, I mean, obviously today's different, but. 
She's no, but she girl. actually, no, she actually makes friends faster than the boy. Um, <laughs> but yeah. We didn't have a TV for you. That's so good. That's really nice. Mm-hmm. That's good. Not for kids, not for adults, not for anybody. But I have a, a question to ask you actually about like bringing us a little bit back to the soul and mm-hmm. life after life. Um, so there's the, uh, the judgment day, right? Like mm-hmm. this, the, the myth of the judgment day, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Where, like in what you were describing, yeah, where is that? Like, it's in the it's beginning. Oh. You mean the soul? After it? Have you ever seen, do you ever see Ghost? Yeah. That's what happens, the movie, yeah. With uh, Demi Moore. Yeah. So when he dies and the two the two angels come the two negative angels come from the ground and take him, that's true. Okay, so hold on one second. What's in that movie? Ghost. There's a couple of movies. What dreams may come? Robin Williams. What dreams may come? Robin Williams. Fantastic movie. Ghost. Oh, Astral City. Yeah. Astral City. Astral City is in Portuguese, but it has English subtitles. I think that's a good example yeah. of the levels. It's an amazing uh, example of the levels. No, oh, I don't know. Astral City, I think, is on YouTube or Amazon, maybe. Amazon Video, maybe. Astral City, What Dreams, what Dreams May Come is a tough movie. And Ghost. The soul knows everything. The soul knows everything. Not the soul. Right. So before we start with the process, so once we're buried, the process starts once the body is buried. And so when's the judgment day? That's when it starts. After the shiva. After, After the seven days. Mm-hmm. The the seven days, the the body, the person, the soul doesn't know that it's dead. Mm-hmm. That's why we cover mirrors. Why are we getting into this now? I can, I can, I can give the course. The course is like eight-week course of everything. Fine. I, I actually found it the other day. All my CDs of, of the Life After Life course that I gave a million years ago. But, but that's why there's the seven days, the 30 days. That's why there's a process. Seven days, 30 days, 11 months. The soul is, goes through the process of, of hell in 11 months. Okay, let's do a meditation before I leave you with all of this dark stuff. <laughs> okay, and cross your legs and cross your arms, put everything down, feet on the floor. Close your eyes. And take three deep breaths in and out. I want you to imagine yourself at the Red Sea. I want you to imagine the big body of water. And it's not scary water, it's not stormy water. It's calm, beautiful water. And you're standing on the beach. And on the other side of the beach, I want you to imagine What is it that you want to achieve? 
What is your purpose in life? Whatever that is on the other side of the water. What does it feel like? What does it smell like? What does it look like? Let yourself imagine. Now I want you to imagine yourself going into the water and seeing all of those challenges, all of those fears that you have, all of the things that bother you from reaching your goal, from reaching your purpose. I want you to see them slowly, slowly melting away into the water. Slowly disappearing. You can see yourself walking through the water. And feeling the relief of all those fears going away all those challenges going away. I want you to see yourself getting closer and closer to your goal, to your purpose. Imagine yourself in those situations, the happiness, the calmness, the fulfillment. Take a picture with your mind's eye of what it looks like to reach that goal. what it feels like, who do you embrace, who are you one with, what have you overcome. Breathe in all of that joy, all of that happiness. Remember that you've just split your own Red Sea. And take those pictures with you. Take those feelings with you. And slowly, slowly envelop them with white light. And surround yourself with that energy, with that white light.
when you're ready to take all of that with you inside your heart, inside your soul, to be able to remember those pictures when you go through your daily lives. And take three deep breaths in and out. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. Is anybody able to see anything? I always wonder. Were you able to see anything? You should practice that. We'll have it on, on the tape. You should practice that. Because it'll bring you back to what, what's your goal. We need to remember that every day. Every day. If we can start in the morning with three minute, three minute meditation of what's my goal. What's my goal? What's my fears? What's my, what takes me away from the path? The only problem I had was that, like, when you sit on the Red Sea and at the beach, it's my happy place, the beach. That's good. So I was very easily connected to, <laughs> That's to good. that. And then walking into the water, for me, is, mm. yeah. it is, it was seeing the other side was... That's where you need to work. That's what was the work, yeah. But it's good to be in a happy place, because then you can, you're more comfortable to see what your goal is. So you, for you, it's to practice seeing the other side. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Any questions? We're good? Okay.